It was about halfway through my preparation this week that I realized when it's the last day of the year, you're supposed to look back and thank God for everything that he's done. But I wasn't looking backwards. I was looking forwards. Because I think about another year coming and what is it going to look like? And when you have been through this year, you think, what are you going to expect? Right now, there's a war in the Middle East that is only set to escalate. It can't wind down. Anybody talking about a two-state solution at this point is hopeless because that can't work. So you think, this conflict is only going to escalate. Well, that's cheery. Happy New Year. So we're only wondering how things are going to work out. And then Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And at that point, I ask, really? How does that work? Well, it turns out in Psalm 125, God reveals that he surrounds you, that he completely covers you in every way. You are secure in him. And what I want to think about for this coming year is to make his peace your possession in this coming year. Are you up for that? Let's read this. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Something interesting that I have discovered is that God has always meant Zion to be a permanent refuge. Let me explain what I'm getting at here. There have been only two places in the world where God 
put his name to dwell. Only two. That's where the center of the nation of Israel was supposed to be. It was supposed to be the place where God is worshipped. And when you're talking about the name of God, you're talking about everything you should think about when you hear the name of God. It is who he is. So you remember that the name of God is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, not clearing the guilty because he's righteous. All these things, God says, I will make to dwell in that spot. That is the place where God is to be worshipped. That is the center of the nation of Israel. And as I've said, he's only placed his name in a spot twice. Now, the, those places are Shiloh and Jerusalem. Shiloh was located in Ephraim. Joshua, who led Israel into the promised land and made them to possess it, he was from the tribe of Ephraim. And he set up that place when he first brought Israel in to possess the land. So the name of the Lord was located in Shiloh. Now that lasted until the high priesthood of Eli. And in 1 Samuel, we're shown that God warned him and his two sons to repent. Because what they were doing was causing people to abhor the worship of God in Shiloh. And God sent prophets to Eli to say, don't do this. Stop honoring your two sons above me. And Eli didn't listen to them. So in judgment, God allowed the Philistines to completely destroy the sanctuary of God at Shiloh. And God even used that as a warning later on to Jerusalem when he says, I will make this place like Shiloh. And that's supposed to make him think, oh yeah, completely destroyed, completely overrun. And when you read the account in 1 Samuel, it seems like the Philistines had no problem completely wiping out Shiloh. Now, the second place that God put his name is Mount Zion, Jerusalem. Both those names are used in this psalm. And how that came about is that David became king of Israel in the place of Saul. And David was looking for a capital. And that he chose to be Mount Zion. It was already a stronghold for the Jebusites. They were the inhabitants of the land before Israel. They were part of the group that Israel was supposed to kick out. And they didn't. And so pockets of Canaanite nations stayed in Israel, and they became 
snares and problems for Israel, just as God said they would. Well, one pocket was staying in Jerusalem, the Jebusites. And David decided, that's going to be my capital because it's a refuge. And one of the reasons why the Jebusites weren't driven out is because it was a good refuge. It's rounded, surrounded by mountains. Now, the Jebusites mocked David. Here's David showing up with his army. And the Jebusites look over the mountains and over their fortifications and say, well, you know, the blind and the lame are going to repel you. We don't have a problem. We're in the stronghold. You're outside. Now, man-made walls can also be torn down. You bring up your big battering ram and you go to it. But it's not so easy with mountains. They were put there by God, and they're not moved. And that's why the Jebusites could look over the top and say, you know, you're not going to get in here. Because you can't deal with these mountains. And David didn't deal with the mountains. He sent Joab up the water shaft. (laughs) Take that, you Jebusites. See, the Jebusites were trusting in this natural refuge, which ordinarily would have been great, except that God was with David. That's the difference. There's no fortress stronghold against the Lord. But late in David's reign, he realized this is where God wants to put his name. This is where he wants the temple to be built. And so, Jerusalem is the place where God put his name to dwell forever. There's no third place where God is going to put his name. One was temporary. The second is permanent. Now, this is a theme that runs through the Bible. That the first one is temporary, the second one is permanent. And it shows itself in a lot of ways. Um, Saul was the first king of Israel. And because he didn't obey God, the prophet Samuel says to him, your dynasty will not endure. The king after David... After Saul is David, and God says, your house will last forever. The first is temporary. The second is permanent. Paul says this of the human body in 1 Corinthians 15. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. So Adam, temporary. Jesus, forever. Think about Abraham had two sons. The first, Ishmael, a slave son. The second son, the son of promise, Isaac. Temporary, 
permanent. Or you could think about Esau and Jacob, twin sons, but Esau was first, and he was earthy, not spiritual. Jacob was second, and he was spiritual. So this is an interesting thing to keep in your mind when you're looking at who's first, who's second. It's a motif that happens often in Scripture. And you know it's the same here? Shiloh was the first place where God made his name dwell. And it was temporary. And it was not very protected. But the second place where God makes his name to dwell is a refuge. And it's meant to be permanent. In Psalm 132, it says, For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. In Ezekiel 43, God says, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. Now, even when God makes a new heaven and a new earth, and he's got a place for his name to dwell, what is it? The new Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is meant by God to be this picture of a refuge that is permanent forever. But it's really an illustration of a greater fact that God himself is to be a permanent refuge for his people forever. That's what this psalm is about. And there's this idea of these mountains surround Jerusalem. How did they get there? The answer is God put them there. As he's dealing with topography, He's making something that he knows is going to be an inheritance for his people. And he designs it a certain way. I don't know how you design a planet. What features you think about as you put it together. But he says, you know what? This is for Israel. I want mountains here. Blah. There they are. Good. I like that. And then... He gives it to David. And David says, this is the place of the name of the Lord. So here's the land that he gives to Israel. Here is the place where his name dwells. And he says, this is what I'm like for you. See these mountains? Nobody's going to move them. I am like these mountains around you. And nobody is going to move me. And you know, he is better than mountains. Because if the Lord was just like those mountains, we would all have to go to Jerusalem and stay there. And we could never go anywhere. Because the protection is there and nowhere else. But see, God is better than mountains. Because he fills heaven and earth, and there is no place you can go 
where he's not already there. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. Now think about this as you sit in your chair. The Lord surrounds you on all sides. Now, other places in the Bible say the same thing. In Psalm 34, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. In Psalm 32, it says, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. And really, it's, it's shouts. So you get the idea of God doing this extreme victory dance as he hoots and howls and shouts all around you. God knows how to do a happy dance. Now this benefit is not for everybody. If you notice, right in verse 1 it says, those who trust in the Lord... Now, this is for people who believe what God says. Because that's what faith is. It's not this vague, abstract power that if you just concentrate hard enough and maybe break a muscle in your head, if you think hard enough, it is. Some people give you that impression. Faith is a power. No, it's not. It is depending on somebody. And in this case, depending on what somebody says. God says he surrounds you. And you don't get a tingle. This, he's all around me. Oh my gosh, my feet, everything. You don't feel a tingle. But regardless of how you feel, that's what it says. He is surrounding you. So you have to make a choice. Do you go by your feelings or do you go by what God has said? If you go by your feelings, then throw your Bible away. You don't need it because your feelings will contradict the Bible at every step. But if you believe what God says, then you have to tell yourself what is true. Because the thing about truth is, it really doesn't matter how you feel. Your feelings do not change gravity. Try as hard as you might. So it really is the same whether you feel like it or not. And so when you have these feelings, you can actually talk to yourself and tell yourself what is true. Like Psalm 42, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now that is true. And I have been often in despair. I have often been disturbed. And yet what the scripture says is that my feelings are to serve me and not to rule over me. And that even my feelings have to obey the truth. So even though I might be agitated and this is not going to turn out well, I can still say, you know what? Be quiet. Because God is going to do something. And I will praise him after he does whatever it is he's going to do, which I don't know what it is, but that's on him. This is kind of why we talk about how God really helped us during the year, because you know what? That's the promise he's going to help us in the coming year. It's the same thing. And you know, if you tell yourself what God says, eventually your feelings get in line. So, the Lord surrounds his people, and he is the one who ultimately rules over his people. You notice this thing in verse 3 about a scepter of wickedness? That refers to an evil government. And really, look at verse 5. Such as turn aside to their crooked ways. A government is not necessarily acting in the best interests of the people. And though there might be good laws in place, the government might choose to not carry out those laws, violate their own laws. And to do that because it benefits them over the people. We're going to see a lot of that happening. We see it happening all over the world. Governments are betraying their people. They come into a certain amount of power and authority and begin to pervert that. Now, governments have always done that. All right? We're going to see governments doing more of that. And... It's going to break down. This world is going to break down more and more as time goes on. This is one of the things that you can look ahead and see and say, great. What's going to be the outcome? Now, these guys, not just the government, but the crooked, these people are crooked because they don't believe what God has said. They don't believe that this life is temporary. The next life is permanent. There's, there's that thing again. First is temporary. Second is permanent. They don't believe that. They think, you know what? You only go through it once in life. You got to get everything here and now. 
And that's more important than keeping a few rules. I'm going to benefit myself right here and right now, and I don't care whose inheritance I mess up in doing that, and it looks like your inheritance might get messed up. And I use the word inheritance because... In verse 3, it says, The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. And in the original language, it's not the word land that is used, generally used. It's a word that means lot. The lot of the righteous. And the reason why the translators use the phrase land allotted is that how, that's how the land was divided up, was cast by a lot. And really, it's God who is apportioning everybody their inheritance. And God is saying, this is yours, and nobody can take it away from you. So let's extend this past a land a certain plot of ground that you get to keep. It's everything that is yours. God is the one who invented rights. He says, this is yours, and nobody can violate your rights or take away your rights from you. But what do we see nowadays increasing? Is people's rights being taken away? We just see it. Like the ULES zone. <laughs> There's a scrapping scheme going on. We'll pay you a pittance for your old car, and then you can get a new one with that money. Makes perfect sense. But then, why don't we send the vehicles we don't use, why don't we send them to Ukraine? No, we're going to destroy them. Okay, fine. People's rights are being taken away, and then we're not using them even for anything good. We're going to find people's rights being stepped on more and more. I'm reminded of one more thing. The corridor that was going to be set aside for the high-speed train, and the government took all these houses along those that corridor, well, they're not going to build that train now, so now the government is renting out all those houses. And the people had to leave are looking at that and say, you took my house from me, and now you're making dough with my house. Well, okay, people's rights are being trampled on. I looked ahead, and I thought, you know, this is only going to increase. All kind of bad stuff going on. Well, over crooked rulers, God still rules. And all I'm saying is, is that God has given you an inheritance. And God is not going to let that scepter of wickedness affect your inheritance lest you become like them and say, you know what? Everybody's getting away with murder. 
I'm going to start kind of looking out for myself and taking care of number one because nobody else is going to do that for me. People are getting that idea. Well, if the government is not going to take care of me, then I'm just, it's everybody out for himself. So you put up a ULES zone? Fine, we're going to break the camera. Pieces of machinery lying in the street. Chaos. Now, okay, we're laughing about it now, but when somebody decides they're going to take your catalytic converter, see, then it hits you. It touches you. All the chaos touches you. And you say to yourself, well, dock on it, I'm going to steal somebody else's catalytic converter. And that's how your entire society descends into chaos. And this is one of the things that's going to happen in the end times. You can read it in Revelation chapter 6, that God takes peace from the earth and men kill one another. This is not talking about warfare on a huge scale. This is on the scale of who took my corn cake? I'm going to kill this person. Who took my bagels? Was it you? Kill ya. Who's going to investigate? The cops don't investigate this stuff anymore. Everybody kills everybody for the slightest reason. That stuff is coming. Well, God does something different. He does not give permission for that to affect you. That's what it means that the scepter of, righteous, uh, of wickedness rests on the land allotted to the righteous. It rests. That means God permits it, allows it to happen unchallenged. He's not going to do that because he doesn't want you to get frustrated about your rights and your inheritance. They might get trampled on in this coming year. But you don't have to respond by saying, okay, then I'm just going to act any way I feel like it and see how far I can get away with it. Every man for himself. Before he lets that happen, he is going to do good for you. Verse 4, do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. I think what God is going to do first is remind you of the truth. You can't take it with you. These people who are crooked, who amass to themselves billions, they can't take it with them. What's the use? All the leaders of Hamas are billionaires because they've diverted huge amounts of contributed money to themselves. They're billionaires. Well, fabulous. Well done. You can't take it with you. So how are you going to answer to God for all the money you stole, all the lives you've taken? What's it going to profit you in that day when you stand before God he says, I've been waiting for you. I'm going to deal with you. Well, this life is short. 
And it's not really profitable to labor for the bread that is temporary. Jesus said, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Your inheritance is not based on anything in this life. Because anything in this life, you will lose. Your inheritance is permanent, eternal, reserved in heaven for you. That's why you give money as unto the Lord, because you're laying it up in heaven. And either what Jesus said is true or it's not true. Either you're a fool to give as unto the Lord, or you are being smart. Because he says all that is going to be waiting for you. And it is not possible to steal it. It can't rust. The moths won't eat it. It will be forever. Or you can say, you know what? I don't really believe that. I'm going to use all my money for me. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to be wearing a miniskirt. I'm, I'm going to wear a postage stamp bikini when I get there because that's all I laid up there. That's going to be embarrassing or else, you know, I want to be decked out. I'm going to lay up my treasure in heaven. Which is it? Well, your inheritance is eternal. Another thing that God does that is good is he gives you his peace that I talked about before. And it's peace in this way. Peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Because you have not earned the favor of God. God does not bless you because you are good. Because you haven't done any good. It's all filthy rags. He blesses you because you trust in Jesus who died for your sins and his blood washes you and cleanses you from all unrighteousness so that you have peace with God. And it's a peace, first of all, because there is no more conflict between you and God that is done away with forever. And there is no more sin or corruption. You are made holy and righteous and pure before God because of what Jesus did. That's what saves you. And you know, he's going to do good to you by giving you himself. Just like we read in Revelation 22, they will see his face. 
And it says in the Bible that when we see his face, we will be changed to be like him. In that very instant, there's going to be such a profound transformation in our lives where we're not going to know what it's like to be sick and weak and unwilling. I don't know if you guys deal with that, but I deal with that all the time, and it weakens me. What's it going to be like to actually put on immortality and endless strength? But see, when we see his face, that's what's going to happen. Do good, O Lord. Well, when you know God rules and he covers you, then you have security and you have peace. Now that's what the psalmist is talking about here. Here's my suggestion for 2024. This idea of God surrounding you on all sides, make it yours. And I mean it in this way. When God gave Israel their land, their inheritance, he says, it's all yours. I've given it to you. Now go in there and get it. Now that's not my favorite idea. You mean you gave it and I still have to fight for it? I still have to swing a sword? Couldn't we give it some other way? Could you just put it on a silver platter and make all those guys run away and I just walk in. That's my idea. God says, no, go in there, get it. I'm with you. <sighs> all right. There's a potential that God gives and there's a practical realization of it. It's all there, potentially, but then you actually have to take hold of it and make it yours. Isn't that funny? And you ask, why does God do it that way? And the answer is, I don't know. But here's one thing I've learned. God wants us to participate with him. And this is something you have to do with God. You can't do it by yourself. If you think, okay, i got to go in there and swing a sword and possess all this by myself, then you get scared and overwhelmed. And you say, I can't do this. But you're not supposed to do it that way. You do it with God. And you depend upon him to enable you to grasp it and make it yours. You possess it with God. So one thing you can do 
is to realize every day you are covered on all sides by God. Think about it just sitting in your chair and you're thinking, God is covering me on all sides. Everywhere I go in this building, God is completely covering me. I go outside. God is covering me. I get in my car. God is covering me. Now, one way you are covered by God is in your sins. He covers you completely in this, not partially, not when I'm walking outside at night and some hole is in my layers so that I feel cold wind on my neck. I've got my mountaineering gloves that reach up to my elbows. That's sealed. But my neck is not sealed. I want to be hermetically sealed when I go outside so that only my nose is visible. Well, you're covered hermetically in your sins. There are no holes there. Because again, there is no way in yourself you can be perfect in God's sight. That ship has sailed. And if you expect it out of yourself, you've got holes. Here's how you cover the holes. Is you realize everyone who trusts in Jesus is freed from everything that you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everything. You are forgiven for all of your sins, past, present, and future. Completely covered by the blood of Jesus. Now you know you know all that in your head, but every day, you say, God, thank you for covering me in all my sins. You know, you're covered in all your inabilities and weaknesses. I'm glad that God made you strong in the areas where you are really strong. But then you think, why did God make me like this? Why am I weak in this area? Other people can do it, and I can't do it. Have you ever wondered that? And other people look at you and say, I can do that. Why can't you do that? And you say, look at my ring. Now, you need to get up closer on it. Look at it. I don't know why God made me like this. Why did God make that blind guy? Who sinned? Him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. But that the works of God might be shown in him. That's why he made you the way he made you. And even in your weakness and in your inability before God, he covers you. And you say, God, I'm weak. I, can't, I don't even want to do this. I'm, I can't do this. Cover me. And he will cover you completely. 
you know, Paul says, I know how to go without and I know how to live it up. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you say, well, that's good for you, Paul. You're perfect in everything, but I'm me. I am so seriously me. It's not even funny. But see, Paul had to learn it too. And just like Alan was talking about, tough year. And then you find God is tougher. God covers me in my weakness and inability. So every day you can say, Jesus, cover me today in my weakness. And you know, you're covered in your fears and anxieties. That scepter of wickedness is going to come to mess with your inheritance. Something's going to go wrong at work. Your boss is going to be down on you. Somebody's out-of-control life is going to spill over into your life. But you know, God will cover you. You might stick your neck out for Jesus and wish you had never done that because now you're in trouble. God's going to cover you. You're going to wind up like Paul in prison in Rome to face the emperor. He says, you know what? Things are going actually pretty good. Because I've gotten to share with every guard they bring in here, every four hours, they're chained to me. They can't get away. And now the gospel is going through the entire imperial household because I'm stuck here on ice. The things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm evangelizing the world from my prison cell. So God's going to cover you so you can do what God calls you to do and you don't have to worry. See, God knows where you are. You are in Him. Completely covered. He knows what you need and He's promising you to cover you in all your needs. And this can be your daily prayer. Thank you, God, for covering me completely. Thank you for surrounding me. Thank you that you're always with me. Give me what I need today. Can you do that? Now your feelings are going to come up and say, you know what, this isn't true. And the devil is going to say to you, that's not true. And a scepter of wickedness will say, that's not true. I am all the power there is, and I have you. But see, let God be true, though every man is a liar. Because this is true. And you can practice this all year long. This is the word of God. 
God is with me. He is surrounding me. You said so. God himself is your security for this year. Let's pray. Just to think that you surround us like mountains. Not a man-made refuge, but a God-made refuge. And everywhere we go, we're surrounded, covered. That is a high thought indeed. And I don't know if I attained to that just yet. But you said it. And it is true whether I feel like it or not. And so all of us together, we're praying to lay hold of this and make it ours. Make it mine. And we pray that we would know your security, your peace in this coming year. Thank you that you are a refuge for us. If anyone needs to take refuge, that entrance is by the blood of Jesus. That is, the one who comes to Jesus and says, you died for me. You're my redemption. You're the one who takes away all my sins forever. You alone are my hope. That's the entrance to the refuge. Trust in Jesus today. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.